Hello, Internet. It's Tori. You're listening to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. For updates on when episodes go live, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. To join the discussion, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash CosmereCast, where you'll find an invitation to our Discord server. Thank you for listening, and please enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Hi. Mike. Joining me this week are Craig. Hi, everybody. Interrupting Cow. And Tori. Hello, Internet. And we start every week with Craig things, so good. What's your Craig? Oh, man. Guys, this is this is a good thing. Um, I got a story along with my good thing, but I'll try to be quick. So <laughs> the good thing this week is WarioWare, get it together. The new WarioWare at the time of this recording just came out like two weeks ago. And it is really good. It's on Switch, um, but it's a lot of fun. The best thing is like the the co-op. There's a two-player mode that's built into the main like story campaign mode, whatever the heck you call it. So uh, it's, it's so fun, guys. Like me and my wife, there are antics to be had. Oh, man, it is so good, guys. And then, of course, they have all the mini games and uh, the different daily or not daily stuff. The uh, what's the word I'm looking for. They have a lot of different multiplayer modes that also mix things up. Some of them use the micro games. Others just do their own thing. Um, Online? Anyway, really good. Guys, WarioWare holds a special place in my heart because it's how I met my wife. I thought you met her through Settlers of Catan. Incorrect, although you were the one who showed us that. Um, That's right. You were dating her at the time, and I introduced you. Right. So we, we were on a senior design project together. Uh, at school and it's sort of how we bonded like we were talking about what what project we should work on and how we should design it and my wife just happened to like, well she wasn't my wife at the time but she mentioned um hey like warrior like we were going to make mini games for the health school as an app and she's like like warrior and i'm like what she plays warrior boom instant fall off um so basically we geeked out over video games but WarioWare was the one so it has a little special place in our hearts that i can was, imagine mrs craig saying that too that's that the was best 14 part. years I, ago I she's like "Ooh, looks like WarioWare." just like well actually it's, thir- it's like yeah they'll do ago. that <laughs> oh gosh it was 14 years ago it's september wow okay um 14 I years remember, ago i remember you got married in 2010 Yep. Because you got married in October, and I have this Rubik's Cube, and two of the tiles had the number 10 in them, because it had the date of your wedding. <laughs> yep. And one of them was was 10 for October, and one of them was 10 for 2010. And I, they went in opposite corners. So, <laughs> that was my favorite so yeah. Rubik's Cube for a while. 2010, we got married. 2020, we had our first child. Nice, easy round numbers. That's how we like it. Anyway, the whole point is that WarioWare is out. Um, that's how we bonded. Cue sappy noises. Okay, I'm done. Can you play online? Uh, no, because the problem is, you know, it's uh, Nintendo. They don't know how. Sort of things. <laughs> I think it's they so have... weird because like there are other games on Switch with netplay that just connect way better than the Nintendo games. Like I think Sky Children of Light like is decently smooth, but that's there's not a whole lot going on in the online interaction in that. 
And then yeah, if it like uses Nintendo servers and Nintendo's netcode, it's just bad. So like even if, like Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles, as much as people complained about it, like the net play worked and it worked pretty well for being on Nintendo Switch. Even Pokemon Unite like doesn't have that much lag when I'm on a wired connection. Like I think Pokemon Unite is even smoother than Smash Brothers as far as online play. But anyway, yeah. Maybe it'll come out on PC so we can have Netplay. WarioWare? No, it will not. But hey, it's really good. Uh, Dave, I know. Actually, I think everyone on our podcast has a Switch. Guys, WarioWare. <laughs> well, we we had success with the Super Nintendo emulator um, playing online, but that we might be that. P2P. We gotta do that again. Yeah, for sure. It's was fun. that P2P? Maybe that's why it was good, because it's peer-to-peer and we're yeah. so close geographically yeah i don't even know what new games are in for that but i'll, I just, have to come over. Especially... I'll just come over and play with you instead then i was gonna say dave you're welcome to come over because the two-player mode just for the mini games itself it's it's just crazy fun as as warrior where is but that i don't know playing with some with another person always makes it more enjoyable so um yeah come over if you have a friend or or a loved one that you can play with Go for that. No, don't love any. I don't, you, you, <laughs> no, I, I don't have anyone that loves over, me. A friend. I, I I did see somebody streaming the new WarioWare game. I think it was Author Blues. And I think he was playing by himself, but he does live with somebody. So that's actually kind of interesting that Sky Bill didn't just play with him. Good it's good I'm sure they played together. I'm just letting you know the, the aspect that has me most excited about this version of the game. Because most of them are just... They have a giant single player mode with all the micro games and they have a bunch of fun multiplayer stuff. This is the two player modes built in. Um, and plus, the neat thing is that it's not just like your control. Like normally the micro games are you either have to move around or press a button. The way they do it in this one is that you control a different character uh, from a crew that you unlock over time. And so you'll know what buttons you know what what abilities you have because they each play differently and then you have to solve the mini game based on that some of them make for some very interesting combinations because you're like how the heck do i solve this puzzle with a character that happens to not be able to move because some of the characters don't move at all some of them just keep moving and you can't control that it's part of the fun so um guys it's really good it's probably one of the best warrior games i think there you go all right, what are you doing after we record the podcast today? Uh, I have a race to run later, so as much <laughs> as I would say come over today, today is probably not the day. But we'll we'll set something up. We'll we'll, we'll talk offline. No, come over today. Watch his ra- watch him race in person. Provide commentary while he's racing. <laughs> well, I have to put myself <laughs> on a fifteen minute delay in person. No, 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 no. You sit in the room and watch me play, and you criticize everything I do. Yeah, I'll just I'll just watch from the living room with your wife and we'll make fun of you. <laughs> All right, Dave, what's your what's your Craig thing this good? Oh, what's that? You want to run that by me again? What's your Craig thing this good? Craig's good. Oh, thanks. Uh, my good thing this week is and really have any like anything new or like too exciting this week that I wanted to share, but I I watched a video last night that reminded me of an old NES game called Faxanadu, and that's a really good game. Yeah. Although the guy in the video pronounced it Fazanadu, which I've seen Xanadu before. I think it's like a 
a Rush, like a song from a Rush album or something. Oh is my from, gosh! Is it from Wait, Farewell to Kings? That pendant that. Yeah, the pen, the glitched pendant. I watched so, that too. <laughs> I was so there's link a link it to you. I didn't realize you watched it. That's fun. yeah. I watched it last night, uh, and as I was watching it, I was like, "Man, the music in this game is so good." So I downloaded the music and listened to it while I was driving today. I didn't download it while I was driving. I downloaded it before I started up the car. Anyway, I uh, but anyway, so the pendant thing. There is a pendant in the game that's supposed to increase your attack power, but they wrote the code wrong. So you actually start the game with the pendant, and when you pick it up, you lose the attack power buff. <laughs> Classic programming mistake. They switch. They. It's actually a jump. Uh, the jump command is wrong, but <laughs> yeah. they basically swap the knot. Yep. Uh, so anyway, if you play Faxanadu on Nintendo Entertainment System, don't grab the pendant. There are there are ways, uh, if you watch the video, actually, there are ways that you can rectify it if you pick it up by mistake. But anyway, great, great game. Um, it's a little grindy, but it's not that bad. Like, the grind is actually pretty fun, and the music's really good, especially the title theme when you first load up the game. It's one of the absolute top-tier songs from the Nintendo Entertainment System. It just it's one of those pieces that takes full use of space and has it's it's like it's, the sound of it is really full like all the instruments are doing their own thing and working together all at the same time in a magnificent way. So even if you don't play the game just go look up the title music to Fax Anadu or Fax Anadu. It's I think it's some word from Norse mythology so who knows how those are pronounced. So how often would you grind in the like starting area? They have like what is it a magic spell that the costs death a lot spell. of money? The big shield's worth getting. Yeah. The, the death spell, I I grinded for that once and not worth. It wasn't it wasn't good enough. You get it for free later on anyway or you get it later on when you can afford it. But you can grind for like one of the most powerful end game spells right at the beginning of the game. Um but you don't have to at all. And there's also like I've also seen speedruns of the game, and it it's kind of funny because they got like these flight boots that are on a timer, but it only it only checks to tick down the timer like every so many frames. So if you pause the game, the timer continues to run, but it doesn't tick down the time. It doesn't tick down like the clock on your wing boots. So you can actually theoretically have the wing boots on infinitely if you pause the game on the frame where it figures out whether or not to tick down the timer that's just a little fun fact the, the neat thing about the game is like the story like there's a story there's stuff that's happening like it has a whole world and presentation to it and we're talking about a nintendo game which is not something you typically would see in an nes game i bear in mind we do have our final fantasies and dragon warriors and whatever but it it has this this neat thing going on because, like Dave said, there's this Norse mythology. Yeah, and uh, there's the world is full of tons and tons of text boxes to explain what's going on. You just kind of like it's more implied than spelled out in text boxes. All right, uh, just want to interrupt here real quick to invite people to our Discord server where we're having an entire secondary conversation about the like source of the name. Um, yeah whole secondary conversation that if you were on our discord 
which you can find the link at patreon.com slash CosmereCast. You could, you could be part of this secondary conversation about the source of the word Xanadu. I mean, I don't think the source is in question. It, it really is probably from, what is it? Kublai Khan? Uh, a poem yeah. that was written in the 18th century. However, no, Xanadu itself is probably not Norse, but the game Fox Xanadu is in theme. Yeah, it actually it takes place... It takes place in Yggdrasil, the world tree. Like, you actually climb up the tree. Yeah, all the zones are part of it. There are elves and dwarves, but we're talking about Norse mythology elves and dwarves, not Tolkien elves elves and dwarves. You know, where Tolkien got his elves and dwarves from. Uh, Tolkien actually did pull quite a bit from Norse mythology, yes. The poem was talking about, like, a mythical kingdom lost to time, and we're never going to find it again. So... It it's when you use the word Xanadu, you're not talking about that specific Xanadu. You're talking about like a mystical place. Like it was, um, yeah. it was the name of the mansion in Citizen Whoa. Kane. And, what uh, if it's actually faux Xanadu? Like it's a fake Xanadu, faux Xanadu. So like I have no evidence to confirm this, but I'm pretty sure that's where Rush got the name for their song. And like, <laughs> you know, just I think that's the source of the word. You sure it wasn't the other way around? Like the Rush song and then the poem several centuries earlier? Look how much hair Neil Burt has. Oh my gosh. I have seen that Tumblr theory that Rush is actually immortal. So like, yeah, it could could work. Rush is immortal? Neil Burt might argue with that. (laughs) Anyway, maybe he faked his death. Immortals have to do that sort of thing all the time. Yeah, haven't you watched Highlander? I was thinking of Castlevania. All right, so my good... Craig, this good is Craig in a good. Thanks. Uh, but actually, it's the game Felseal Arbiter's Mark, which I've been playing and streaming. I'm back to streaming. I fixed my streaming thing so I can stream again. Um, but Felseal is a love letter to Final Fantasy Tactics. Um, it is. Oh, you love Final Fantasy Tactics. I do love Final Fantasy Tactics, and so does this game. Um, Mechanically, it's extremely similar. Um, yeah, it's just if you enjoy tactical RPGs like Final Fantasy Tactics, uh, give it a shot because they did a great job of making a game that feels a lot like FFT. So, Tori, what's your what's your Craig good this thing? Um, Amazon Prime has this new docu series called Lula Rich which is a four-part limited documentary about LuLaRoe, and it's basically a cult. Like, for real, watching this thing hit all of the same buttons for me that watching that Scientology show last year hit. <laughs> like, because It's like the same thing. It oh is. God. It's so crazy. I'm sorry for everyone out there in listener land who is involved in MLM's multi-level marketing schemes. If that's your thing, good for you, but like I hate them. <laughs> I hate them a lot. Like they're all over my Facebook feed. Everyone's like, "Oh, get involved in my whatever business this is," and I hate them. And watching this documentary and how messed up the company was and it just ah, oh, it it's it's like bad reality tv i loved it it was it was amazing and it's only four episodes so it won't take up much time so if you have prime video i i highly recommend this i mean this is probably good if you've heard about ml mlms and you're not sure what they're about to to 
go watch and get some education on oh, it. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, if you're not familiar with them, it they ruin lives. They really do. And I know this from experience because my dad got roped into the Amway thing in the 90s. And you you invest your own money into these things thinking that you're going to make money down the line. And, and you don't. You just don't. Like you... If if you get in on the ground floor and you're one of the first people to do the MLM, sure, but that's highly unlikely to happen. And what's most likely going to happen is you're going to lose all your savings and all your money and it's going to ruin your life and your family's lives. And it, it's just terrible. So don't do them. But Tori, it was hugely profitable for the person above him. Oh, I know. I know. And watching this documentary about LuLaRoe, uh, which... I, like I had heard the name LuLaRoe, I didn't realize it was an MLM. I don't do fashion, like uh, I don't care about clothes, so I, I, like I knew they were leggings and everything else about it had just like, it was not on the radar at all. And um, But they show you the founders of the company, like they've for the documentary, they interviewed them. And then there was also some kind of legal deposition that was recorded, and so they show video from the deposition and oh my gosh, these people are just so squirrely. They're so, um, like, like they're being asked, so did you know this was a pyramid scheme? And they're like, I don't know that. And it's, yes, you did. You knew that. Like, don't, don't play. Um, Please define pyramids and schemes. It was like that, yeah. And they're just, like, they didn't honestly answer any of the questions, and it was just, they, they're very sus. Very, very sus. And, um... So don't do MLMs. I don't have a problem with MLMs in principle, but I also agree that you should be responsible with your money and not just throw it all into something that is uncertain. Well, so the issue is that it's it's on the premise of running a legitimate business, which is fine, but it preys on people to do, you know, to have and, and constantly invest in order to be able to make a profit or rope friends. And like, that's when it becomes a problem when you create the pyramid structure. If it's just you're running a business. Yeah, OK, you're running a business. It's it's like a franchise a little. But most of these companies aren't like that. They are legitimate pyramid schemes. And it's just the knowledge isn't out there. So so go watch the documentary and learn. Speaking of pyramid schemes, uh, Dave. Tell me about the pyramid you read this week. Um, well, I got this $1 bill, and there's a pyramid on the back of it. And Wax's uncle was a banker, so he probably printed some money, too. And that, that, takes, us to, that takes us to Skadriel. Man, the conspiracy will... runs deep, doesn't it? Read chapter 6 through, I don't know, 8 of, oh, man, Bands of Mourning by Brandon Sanderson. Brands of Sanders sing chapter could maybe, six. Could it maybe be chapters five through seven? Yeah, I, I think that's what it was. Oh yeah, starting part two, chapter five. Renette packed us some tether balls. I wonder if Steris's blanket is the same as the one on the cover. Saran has a scary backstory. Spook ruled for one hundred years. Steris is a delight. A man doesn't have to like his duty, he just has to do it. Darius interviews the experts on how to wink, fade out. I probably forgot to reread this part to understand how the tetherball works. Oh, the prophecy came true. And Steris is cute at math. So here we have Wax and Steris talking. 
on a train on her way to their mission to get some bike. And Steris is apparently reading a book on the history of Saran, and she looks really aghast at what she's reading. And Wax takes a peek in there, and, uh, you know, she's uh, getting ready to be a married woman. And let's see here. What else we got? There's some tether balls. So this is an extension of the grappling hook that uh, Renette invented. And I don't There's some kind of like, it's like a ball, but you can use allomancy to unlatch it and make the hook come out. I still don't see how it's really any more useful than a regular grappling hook. And there's this other thing where like wax, like suspends it in the air with allomancy as he swings from it. And I just have so many questions or I just misunderstood it. Is that like a question for me? (laughs) Because I don't know. Is that what, did I misread that? I mean. Did you misunderstand or misread something? Most likely. Let's move on. <laughs> I probably forgot something too. I mean, you could probably suspend things in midair if you do this constant push, stop pushing sort of thing. I, I could see that working. If it's directly above you, okay. like you can counteract as, the as gravity you're exerting on it. We have two fan theories. My thing is if we look way back at, at um, Kelsier in, um, in Mistborn, it's like the way that they described pushing from your center of mass isn't doesn't seem to match up with what we've seen. Instead, what we've seen is any body part can be the focus of a push, which is why you can get things spinning in weird ways, um, in which case, yes, you can hold out your hand and push upward. However, there's another fan theory that says wax because he can also store weight and move mass around. He just changes where his center of mass is. And therefore, he could just direct it from whatever body part he wants. That, I think, is the fan theory that people like. Okay, but this tether thing that Dave has brought up. So if Wax throws the ball up in the air and he's hanging on to the rope and then he pushes the ball while he's hanging on to the rope, like, he could just go up for until he runs out of steel, right? Like No, because the, the anchor is himself. So he's pushing up against the ball which is pulling him up at the same rate that he's pushing up and he's also pushing himself down uh what happens is uh, gravity then just pulls everything down yeah it pulls the whole system down it's kind of like how if you put your hands under your butt and try to lift yourself up into the air you can't levitate even if you can do pull-ups you still can't levitate by pushing up on your butt i've tried i can't do pull-ups but i've tried i used to be able to do a pull-up and the other thing is like if he's not directly underneath it or can't get a body part directly underneath it, then he'd also be pushing it forward as he pushes it up. Uh, I did. I, I, but then again, was this like, did, is this even anything that he was doing in this chapter or did I just completely misunderstand it as no, I was I, reading I, it? I think we agreed that you misunderstood it as you were reading it. So what happened? I don't know. Cause I honestly don't know what part you're talking about. The part where he's playing with the tether ball. Sounds like you should reread it again. All right, like I'm going to reread should. it. I'm going to reread it and uh, draw up a diagram. No, no, Ooh, no. That's Tori's thing. I like, I like thing. where this is going. I like this plan. Nope. Tori does the diagrams here. No, I do the diagram, capital D. If yeah, we're going to be drawing thing. anything, drawing anything, that is Dave's thing. I'm talking about like a free body diagram like you you would draw in physics class and draw out all the vectors applying force onto the... Now, if you were to put together a schematic, that would be a totally different and Dave-appropriate thing. Uh, 
but anyway, uh, how do we feel about um, Renette coming up with the idea to take down Pewter Arms or Coloss of what if bullets were big? <laughs> she already came up with that, but she just made them even bigger. Well, it's also designed specifically for Wax because he can increase his mass and, you know, stable stay stable as he's firing this giant shotgun. Oh, I forgot about the most important part, uh, most important bullet point. Steris is cute at math. So she kind of convinces Wax that pouring over family finances is fun because it's like a mystery. And you got to find like the hidden trail of where did the three cents go? And so they get all into that as the chapter is closing. But what yeah, if... Not just that, but it was like competitive financing. It got competitive by the end of chapter six, yeah. Okay, but like, what if bullets were big? <laughs> what, if, what if big bullet? Uh, ask Randall Monroe. I don't... It's just, it would just be like a bullet, but bigger. Like, it would be like... Oh, no, ask Matt Pat. Remember that episode of uh, Game Theory where he... He figures out how much damage Bonsai Bill would do. I remember that one. That's <laughs> like that was like season one or two. Like that was super duper OG game theory. No, Randall Monroe covered one that was like, "What if giant raindrops?" So I, I don't know. You just you made me think of that. I bet raindrops have nothing to do with Big Bullet, but well, it- so raindrops would be going at a much faster speed than the Bullet Bill you see on the screen. The problem with Bullet Bill. Is that when you look at his speed on on the video game screen, it's so slow. So therefore, there's not as much force as you think. Raindrop would hit a a terminal velocity, but it'd still, I think, be pretty fast. So big raindrop hurt, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> is that is that what it was? Yeah, that was the conclusion of that one. I think. I mean, there already exist videos of like you know large construction equipment dropping a, a lot of water in a small area, like on a car. And the car is just gone. So what if, like, it's a regular-sized raindrop, but you're an ant? Well, I I think we have evidence that ants survive raindrops pretty pretty routinely. So now I want to know how that works. Uh, if we have a biologist listener in chat or would like to join our Discord, then please tell us. And I'm, I'm sure we could rate relay it back to all of the the crab things on Roshar and the high storms somehow and see now it's relevant and that's what happens if big bullet okay any questions about chapter five uh what goes on in chapter six that's not about chapter five yeah, oh, wait, we're not done it? with chapter five we we only talked we stopped at like the very first part of the chapter we, we, we got to talk about Steris and her reading a book. This is important. Steris has a subscription to Safe Hand Hub. Uh, I would hope it's more than just Safe Hand Hub because she's got to figure out the birds. and the. Well, she tried to ask people, but nobody wanted to talk to her about it. She so. asked the experts. You know, more likely she could ask a doctor, but I, I don't know. I don't know their whole doctor situation. In, They're in called the apothecaries in this day and age. It's true. But still, or or if you find a midwife, you can ask a midwife. They have midwives. Where is Steris going to find a midwife? Wait, Be realistic. Midwives don't pro. Midwives aren't hired to procreate. No, but they know how it happens. I'm sure. And typically, I'm, I'm sure any twelve year old knows how it happens if they teach it in school when you're twelve. I don't know. So, so think about it. if if we didn't have public education that teaches you sex ed, how do you find out this information? 
if your you parents don't have a parent who's willing to tell you. Uh, Craig, we we all live in the U.S. We don't have public education that teaches about sex ed. I, I went it depends to parochial on where school. you are from in the U.S., but even in my Catholic school, I had sex ed. Same. Did it actually talk about the mechanics of the process, or did it more talk about, hey, it's a thing that exists, don't do it? Because I'm pretty sure that's what Mike and I had growing up in Oklahoma. Now that I think about it, I'm pretty sure that my parents did actually teach me, and I didn't really learn anything from school. My parents trying to teach me, and I'm like, I was so embarrassed because I already knew. Taught me way too late. I'm like, I already know all this. Uh <laughs> But uh, Jet, I, wait, I, I Jet had friends, exactly. or Craig had friends. My my school did not say you know sex is bad, don't do it. They actually, I mean, but I'm from Philly, so it's it's different up here in the Northeast compared to Oklahoma. I'm sorry, guys, that you had the Southern Bible Belt education. All right. Well, the the point is that Steris went. She asked the sexperts, and they knew who she was, and they didn't tell her because you know they knew that she was. Like a famous noble woman or something. Any questions about chapter five? We're not going to tell you where babies come from. Ask your mommy or daddy. (laughs) All right. Chapter six starts with a broadsheet. I wrote down two notes for the broad street. (laughs) That's in Philly. Um, Broadsheet. Calcus? Is that? They're like cyborgs or something, right? (laughs) Calcus? It's a calcus. I want my book handy. They're, t- they're telling me they're cyborgs, right? What it seemed like. Okay. And then Nikki Savage can burn chromium. So Nikki Savage is like a spin off of Alamancer Yak, and she burns chromium. She's a leecher. And then a bunch of other ads and stuff in the broadsheet. Uh, all right, chapter six. Reeler draws a picture of a Voidwalker Inquisitor. Oh boy, spook police. Marassi doesn't want to be an appendage. But she is the long arm of the law. Wayne cheers her up, sorta, by telling her a story of some safari dude who loses both his riches and his Richard. Marassi finds a Vin's earring. Wax and Steris are up late, and the caboose is loose. Okay, you must have had fun writing this one. There's so many puns here. <laughs> There's two. Sort of. Uh, so yeah, Marasi's reading the book uh, "Words of Lester Borns," and he suggests that old Alamancers, elderly Alamancers, that it definitely be called "Words of Lester Borns." That, um, that needs to be a book. So she's reading that book, and Spook is advocating that geriatric Alamancers should give up their lives to pass on their powers via hemolurgy. And that's that sounds questionable at worst. Best. It sounds like a great deal for everybody but the geriatric alamancers. Yeah, then the real like the problem with it is it's it implies that the elderly have nothing to contribute to society. And that's pretty awful to say. I didn't read it like that. I read it as more of a you know, like a euthanasia thing, like, you know, you're you're old and you're sick and you're dying already and you're ready to go, so why not do it this way? Hemological yeah, hospice mean, care. <laughs> I I have problems with it, but uh you know, I I don't live in the world of Gadriel's moral infrastructure and maybe in that realm if an old person wants to give their life in such a way 
then Harmony is okay with it. But he's probably not okay with it. That's why Spook has to write this letter. But well, yeah, and of course, <laughs> if it becomes widespread, then you're going to have criminals who are who are like, well, we know it's a thing now. We know how to do it. Let's just go take what we want. I think. You know, it's interesting think- though. The idea half for it. Half for it. Well, so hemolurgy is a ruin and incurs a net loss. So this is actually really interesting in that it's it proposes using hemolurgy to give a net increase. So I wonder if there's some kind of, you know, cosmic balance that has to occur, like fewer allomancers will be born because the allomantic power of the previous generations are still floating around in full. You know, sort of like what we have with breath and endowment. What's that? Is that the, there's a the, limit? The breath sticks around and you can pass it on before you pass away. But at least by passing away your breath, you're not killing yourself. Uh, Yeah, so that's different. So the but net investiture increases over time. Is that possible? Are they allowed to do that? Who are we talking about? Because on Nalthus, you totally well, can, because that's the endowment's nature is it, to endow her investiture to people. Like, that's just what she does. Well, so then is there another shard that that removes investiture in a similar fashion to balance it out? Like, is there a is there a like a conservation of investiture law? Well, so endowment is giving part of her investiture. There, There's a set amount of investiture. There is there is so, a like, con- conservation of investiture. If the so breath if goes on her, away, can people on her planet just not be born if she doesn't no, have no, no, any no. more breath? You have to, to understand. Give? It is such a small percentage of her investiture that it does not matter. And if people do die and lose breath, it returns to her. So there, there is no danger of her running out of breath to give. So, so we have to understand that's let's. I want to preface with that. It is such a small part of her power. Um, but yeah, the the overall investiture available on the planet can appear to increase. But keep in mind, I'm not factoring in endowments investiture because if we She's the she's the outside influence. If we take her into a okay. into account, we have a net zero on the planet. So there is a, a conservation. Of, I gotcha. All right. Um, what did this have to do with the uh, words of Lestaborn? Well, we were talking uh, about how he's, uh, he's so hemologically normally yeah. has a net loss. So I mean, I guess in hemology, the the loss of investiture through hemology returns to ruin. Is that how that works? That's a Good question. So, so like, he, um, what so you like, have to understand, kept wanting, is, like, kept wanting to spike people and make more coloss and give give Marsha billion spikes and have people hemolurgize. I mean, it gives him more influence because he can he can control people that have spikes. But also, like, does it increase Ruin's own investiture? So, I I, I understand the thing. Combining the two, they're not quite the same. When you spike someone or use hemolurgy, what you're doing is you're playing with connection. So you're changing the connection that a person has and giving it to someone else. So if a person has a connection to using a certain type of allomancy, it's now being transferred to the person who who receives the spike. They now have that connection to be able to use that allomancy. So you're not playing with investiture there. You're playing with the connection to use a certain type of investiture. So it is different. I think Spook also goes into this how like you could technically use hemolurgy to make any kind of creation that you want, but there are just billions of combinations that aren't useful and like a handful that are like coloss and 
Contra. It's kind of like Hemalergy is basically just a, a hex editor. I, I like that. That That is a really good way to put it. You can mess with certain bites and it's probably going to be bad. But every now and then you get your pendant to work. <laughs> All right. So, you know, Marasi's upset about something. Because, I guess because like all of her accomplishments seem to be because of her, uh, you know, relationship with Wax. And she wants to be influential because of her, her own abilities and her own efforts and not just because like even the promotion she got the uh aridel said that he promoted her because she was close to wax and such and so forth and then wayne tells her a story to cheer her up and it sort of works i guess and then marasi finds a vin's earring it was in like a pouch or something and then she goes and she uh pops in on wax and steris who are up late doing math and then yeah yeah. Wax goes from the end of chapter five, like, uh, and then he starts doing it like, oh, this is like, this is like investigation. I like this. And investigation. And then <laughs> at the end of the chapter, Marasi notices the, the private train car got unhitched from the rest of the train. What's going to happen? So to your earlier point, Wax does cast a very large shadow. Like everyone remarks about it in their perspective chapters when since we usually read from Wax's perspective, we don't see this, but other people who are affected by his actions, like he just does what he thinks is best. He's very much like a one man army does what he needs to get done. And people just have to go along with it. Sort of. Thing. It's kind of interesting because he makes the point earlier, and this is like a major theme in Wax's character. And in, uh, in that he, he doesn't like lawbreakers because they're, they're kind of like they're kind of cheating, right? They're like they're doing they're get doing what they want out and getting what they want outside of the normal, you know, workings of how things are supposed to be done. And Wax, as somebody who wants to follow the law, is actually a little jealous of the lawbreakers. He's like, man, I wish I wish I could, you know compromise my values and compromise the law like they do and you know just just kind of take a shortcut like they do but his whole deal is being a vigilante so like he is very much doing that thing that he's jealous of other people for doing they bring this up in alloy of law too there's a fine line between him being a law keeper in the roughs to just being a straight criminal and vigilante yeah and, and i guess that's connected to miles right? it's like it's kind of like because I think he's actually talking about Miles and he's like, well, Miles was an excellent lawman, so he's going to make a very good villain <laughs> or something like that. Or like he's always so he says how like the, the best lawmen always make the most effective because villains. Or he something. understands how they think that was that was the whole thing. But yeah, he's he's very much a, a vigilante. I mean, we already mentioned it's this is psych the book, so. And but Batman. At least, at least in that, they follow <laughs> the law. They, like, they work for the police department. And Wax, quote unquote, works with the police. Like, it's very much. I mean, jumping ahead to chapter seven, uh, there's dudes come on to rob a train, and he recognizes that they're new at robbing trains and don't really know what they're doing. And then Wax goes on a killing spree. Because they're criminals. <laughs> it's a vigilante. Shoot so like, first, he... ask questions later. They shot him first. 
It specifically ends with chapter six ends with a man shooting at Marasi. So they shot first. And Wax does point out later that, hey, these guys aren't wearing any masks. They don't care if we see them because they're planning to kill us all. Okay. Chapter seven, then. Uh, chapter seven. Steris saves the day. But then Wax got chromium. Who is the tall guy with the long coat and cane? Next scene. Steris saves the day again with Wax earplug. Marassi and Steris are such sisters. Where did Steris go? Next scene. Where did Wayne go? Big dude. Roof shenanigans. There's Steris saving the day, of course. <laughs> All the notes are about Steris or Wayne. I love this. Chapter. What? No one else does anything in this chapter. Wayne, well, all right. Um, so, gosh. So, uh, Wax does this... something, he gets beat up. He gets well, Wax beat. pushes the cars together, doesn't he? He pushes the, ca- the caboose. Oh, back. yeah, so that the caboose can, like, the back car can catch up with the rest of the train. That was kind of cool. How, mu- There's, how much freaking... I know that Wax is, like, continually burning steel, right? Or iron. He keeps a low burn so not steel. Not steel. I'm sorry, time. not steel. No, I'm sorry. He's constantly... What's his ferrochemical metal? Iron? iron? Okay. He, he's, he's constantly, constantly storing weight, right? But right, he makes himself lighter. But based on whatever, what kind of bracers he has on, like how big the bracers are, there's a limit to how much weight he can store. So even if he they're full at all times, like... How much freaking weight does he have to have to to push a train car? So from what I've gathered, iron. So weight is very efficient to store. You can like store. Tin. You, you can store a lot. Like, a lot like 10 elements. Weight, so yeah. And tiny bits of metal. So I, I've never seen wax like he doesn't really need to switch out his metal mines or anything. He could just constantly store this stream and get a good chunk. So. I imagine he can make himself weigh, you know, like half a ton or something easily for a few seconds. That's all he needs. He only needs a few seconds of heavy weight to be able to push the train. And he does have like, he does have full on bracers on his upper arms to where he stores them. All right. That's cool then. I was just like, it. there seems to be narratively a a limitless amount of Farukami for wax. And it's believable knowing that the iron is efficient like that. I can... He is storing 25% of his weight all day. Probably not while he's sleeping, but at least while he's can't. awake. 25% of his weight every single second. You, you can't so, store weight while sleeping. You can right. only store sleep while sleeping. So if, if we take, like, what does he weigh? Like 160? He's a tall guy. Maybe he's like close to 200 pounds. Well, it's, let's, it's fine. Let's just I mean, say it doesn't matter what he weighs. Argument, he stores about 50 pounds. I'm not arguing about it. I'm agreeing with the okay, concept. Let's do the math real quick. He's doing 50 pounds uh, a All right, Steris. Yeah, look, someone's got to be the Steris of this podcast. So we're going to do some quick maths. We got how many seconds? So we're, we're going to say he's awake for, um, we'll say he's storing for about 15 hours. Because, you know, maybe he takes a break every now and then. Uh, 15 hours is about 54,000 seconds. And if we're doing 50 pounds... Those seconds, he stores two million seven hundred pounds a day. Are you going to start singing "Rent" now? <laughs> no, no. So yeah, he stores two point seven million pounds in a day. Give him a week, yeah, no problem. He he can tap and get like a ton for just like a minute. 
Wait, do do metal mines store pounds or do they store pound seconds? And also, I'm going to say kilograms because it, they store mass that way. I don't care what the text says. The way it works, they're storing mass. So do they, oh, yeah, are, do they, they store mass. kilogram seconds, right? Yeah. It's maybe? Cause it, it well, is, yeah, the unit would be mass times how, time. Yeah, it's based on time over Except time. It mm, it's less efficient the more you're the more you're pulling. So like if you're storing at a rate of fifty pound seconds, then if you pull um a hundred pound seconds, you actually end up with slightly less pounds over more time. Or is it pound or, seconds or pounds per second? What would be the unit of I mean we're making this up, so what what would you like the unit to be, Dave? Brandon didn't make it. Well no one of them makes sense and one of them doesn't, is the thing. I'm gonna call them Dave's. No, I would say kilograms per second, I think. Kilograms per second. So anyway, he's he's storing fewer Daves per Dave, and he's pulling more Daves per Dave to give him right. maximum Dave. So anything else happened in Chapter 7? Train got robbed, and Wayne's nowhere no, to be found. No, Chapter 7 is Best Girl Stairs chapter. Yeah, because she's always, like, she always had whatever you need. It's in her purse. Like, she's the cartoon character now. It's, it's, you know a, how... shame. it's a shame she dies at the end. It's a shame. Game. You know how they say Batman. She doesn't die. She just fell off the train. Oh yeah, Starris fell off the train at the end of this chapter too. Guys, you know so how they say dead, Batman, just like Yasna. <laughs> okay, I, I'm glad. I love the interruption. I understand. Yes, this is what I do to you guys. You know how <laughs> they say Batman can win any fight when he's prepared, and Batman is always prepared. Or the point is, Starris is what makes Wax always prepared. So therefore, Wax can now win any fight because he has a Steris. So Steris is Batman training himself to breathe space. I don't know what that means, but sure. Batman can breathe in space because he trained himself. <laughs> oh, wait, is this really a thing that has happened? Please, please don't say yes. I mean, do you want me to lie or do you want me to answer <laughs> no, you? No, does he really? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, anyway, Steris is always prepared and therefore best girl. Steris is best girl. So he's storing, he's storing five kilograms. So what else you got, Dave? Uh-oh, Dave went in the math land. Maybe he does just store kilograms. Is math land is just, all, like, flat land? I think he yeah. is actually just storing kilograms. It's not kilograms seconds or kilograms per second. So he, the story... Oh, okay. So the storage is in kilograms. Like, the, what's inside the metal mine is kilograms. But the drawing of it would be in kilograms per second. At Sounds pretty fair, because you can you can change the rate of which you pull or. Swim. Anyway, all right. Um, so there's this. At one point, there's this tall guy with a long coat and a cane, and cane rhymes with Wayne. Hold on, that is an extraordinary claim, and you're gonna have to have some evidence for it. Yeah, a I'll long accept, coat. I'll accept that evidence. He's he's got a long coat, and he's in disguise. And so his only, like, function here is, like, he tells, like, one of the thugs to, like, he's like, oh, go get him. Like, he sicks him on wax. And we also know that Wayne hired some mischief makers in, like, the first chapter to cut down the water tower. It's so weird. Is Wayne so a wait, conjurer? Are you theorizing that these bandits are Wayne's doing? Is, is that what I'm know, picking man. up? I think at the very least this this dude with the cane is Wayne. Is I don't know this, what he's doing there. Is this Wayne is against Wax and Stairs marrying the book? I don't know. You know, I, Wayne was probably just off somewhere making out with Milan. 
Well, if Wax is dead, he can't marry anybody. Hmm. Oh, this makes any sense. But where's Wayne? I guess we'll have to wait and see. Someone's right. We'll have to. Uh, yeah. So after that, Kane, dude, we cut to Marasi viewpoint, and Steris uh, has some wax earplugs, and I bet that's. Uh, I bet she got them so that she can tune out her husband in the future. Maybe that's what Wayne uses to ignore wax. I bet wax snores. Yeah. So she needs wax earplugs. Got it. And the Marasi and Steris are like sisters. They're like. Oh, remember that time when, oh yeah, ah ha ha, tee hee, like sisters do. And like, just, they only know what's going on. They don't talk about it. They're never like, oh, which, what happened to the last butler that blew up the house? Well, they bring up the point that they're like, oh, usually the house servants don't get involved in Wax's shenanigans, except that time the house blew up. But to be fair, the butler was the one that blew up the house in that instance. So. So what you're saying is they act like siblings. Yeah. Yeah. But they're talking, but also to address the specific point of the one, the one time they mentioned the house servant gets involved in wax shenanigans, that was be, the the butler blew up the house. That's why he was there when the house blew up. Butler I mean, did it. Come on. Uh, so then there's this big dude. Oh yeah, and wax. Um, so Steris being prepared has some uh, has three vials of steel handy for wax. And he drinks two of them, and she has him floating in cod liver oil because, you know, whiskey's not good for you, and she has to look out for the health of her husband, her future husband. And so he drinks two of them, and then he gets chromiumed. Apparently, the, nobody touched him, though. I don't, because you have to touch someone to chromium them, right? Or maybe there's something else. I actually have no idea if it, if it takes a physical touch or not, or if it can be done from a distance. Didn't um Craig. didn't Nikki Savage have to touch somebody to use her chromium though? Yeah, for a person who uses allomantic chromium, they have to touch the other person. So who touched? I believe wax. that's what we've seen. I believe that's what we've seen. Steris. Steris touched him right in the heart. Oh, interesting. If a leecher touches nightblood, they would die. How about that? <laughs> Good. I mean, wow. most people who touch Nightblood die. Yeah, so. touching Nightblood to try to leech them would also die. What? Because they're trying to remove the. Oh wow, they can leech from a lifeless. Huh? There's a lot of a lot of people have asked Brandon questions on how leeches work, so that's why we have all these interesting things because they drain investiture. That's just what they do, and they send it to preservation. It's interesting because the metal itself isn't the infestiture. It's when it's tapped, when it's burned to be used, then you're actually pulling from preservation. You're, you're actually using preservation's infestiture. So it's curious that Leecher destroys the metals in someone's body. I feel like there's some inconsistency there that needs to be addressed. Because metal is a key. It it tells uh, the world, I don't know, it tells the Cosmere what... Metal. What type of investiture you want to manifest, which you're using from preservation. So therefore, how does Leecher remove that? The metal is the, the shape of the uh, of the symbol you draw in the air. Right. It is not the actual investiture. Although I think the Aeons, they are... But it is it is the access to the investiture. To let it pour out. Yeah, because the investiture is sitting in the cognitive realm for, for Elantris. Anyway, we're we're getting off track here. The point is... Nightblood kills. How can and, we be and, off track? We're on a train. 
Well, Steris is off Sorry. track because she picked up that giant shotgun and tries to shoot the... I don't know if he's a, a Farukamist using pewter or if he's a Colas blood or maybe even both, but she shoots him, she grazes him in the shoulder, and in the recoil, just sends her flying off into the next chapter, where I will see you all next week. So, we answered the question, what if really big bullet? And the answer is, Steris fell. Uh, Alright, anybody got anything for Dave? Or shall we get to spoiler time? Let's do spoiler time. Alright, sounds like nothing for Dave, so... Bye, Dave. Dave's gone. Play Dave. This, this concludes the spoiler-free section of our podcast. If you are, as I am, reading along for the first time, we recommend that you stop listening now, as the following will contain spoilers for not only this book, but for other Cosmere books as well. There may also be general spoilers from any other source material. Spoilers begin now. Okay. Play some. We're not that far yet. Uh, yeah. So what do we got for spoiler time? Therist is best girl. That's what I was going to say. Yes, Steris is excellent, and we're starting to like actually get it in the text instead of just being something that you can put together and infer. Like This this is definitely the scene, the sequence of events that made me really like Steris. This whole train sequence, uh, and especially when she gets saved, I think next chapter, actually. Um, this whole thing was like, wow, Steris is so good. And then... Was this the chapter where she sacrificed? Well, she volunteers to sacrifice herself, or is that later on? She's like, they need it. They need to kidnap someone, so I volunteer to be kidnapped because I have nothing to contribute. And I'm like, Steris, you contribute everything. Don't do that. That might Honest, happen later on. Honestly, I don't know. I I have started actually rereading the book. I'm just not caught up yet. It was not in this week's chapters. No. Okay. Thank you, Tori. Yeah, it might it might happen in a later sequence, but that's the whole point where she's like, like she's aware, but she still puts herself down a little bit too much. Like she doesn't think she contributes, but the fact is, if she wasn't here prepared with the extra metal, Wax would have no metal. He wouldn't be able to push anything. She was prepared for him. So good. And we don't need to do the kidnapping plot over again. We already dealt with that. <laughs> that's. I wish that was the actual text. If Wayne was like, we don't need to do that story. We already did that one. Although I don't think Wayne would, would defend Steris in any way. Maybe, but if, maybe... anyone, if anyone was going to break the fourth wall, it would be him. Right. He's the one who would break the fourth wall, but he ain't breaking it for Steris. Ho hopefully he warms up to her eventually. I don't think he does by the end of this book, but he shacks up with Milan, which is, by the way, Dave's, Dave's side guess of maybe he's just out making out with Milan is correct. That's where he is. Um, maybe he gets a little bit better now that he, he gets a, a girlfriend. But uh, be nice to Steris, dude. She she makes Wax better. I think the the moment Wayne realizes that Steris makes Wax better, he'll start liking her. I mean, I'm pretty sure he does warm up to her a little bit. Like, not directly to her, but like he allows the wedding to happen instead of intentionally screwing it up again. Which, you know, might be him or it might be Milan preventing him from, from causing problems. Or it was because he knew Wax was ready to get married the next time. I mean, that's a good point. You, you you knew he wasn't ready at the beginning of this book. Like, he was just going along with it. And it's not until the end of this book where he realizes that he wants to actually get married to Steris. When, he, when Wax realizes Steris is best girl. Because that's the thing to help you get over trauma is more trauma. Oh, no. That's the Cosmere in a nutshell, though. Trauma I mean, equals power. That's fiction, baby. That's books. But, 
I don't think there's a lot to talk about in these sequence of chapters, aside from everything that happens in chapter seven. Uh, we do get the appearance of the the weird chromium device. So that that's our first like appearance of something that can use allomancy that isn't an actual person. The uh, metal grenade. Yeah. Yes, those are those are extra cool. So like that's the bunch. sign that something neat is happening in this book. And here's our first sign. All the uh, southern scattering magitech. Yes. And now we have Rhythm of War, where there is a similar device used in on the to be able to remove someone's use of investiture. Uh huh. They they use um sound now, don't they? That's they they mask the uh the rhythms. That's because in general, and I've said this before on this podcast, investiture is based on on waves of some kinds, like sound waves. I mean, that's what we get from Rhythm of War itself. There are sound waves that are associated with different types of investiture. Um, we have seen this when when Marsh describes using bronze to Vin. Like, he, he sees certain colors or patterns. Again, colors are waves. That's what we see. So using each different investiture gives off some different wave, and we actually see that. So there's always been this sound and investiture, or sorry, wave and investiture um, uh, synergy. I think we need to get a uh, a listener on Scadrial in the next book. You, you want to get a listener on Scadrial so they can, like, listen to the way... They probably seem... I feel like they see a lot of color. Like, so everything we've seen about Alamancy is that it gives off colors. Well, they can... And everything on Roshar is sound. They can sense the rhythms of, of the planet on Roshar, right. which is, yep. we learn, um, honor, cultivation, and odium. Right. Um, so on Scadrial, they'd be able to hear the rhythms of Scadrial, i.e. preservation and ruin, and possibly Trell. Actually, they would probably get harmony, like completely now, it would just be harmony, but... That's a curious thing if, if we, it would actually hear Trells, because I don't think she's present on the planet itself. She, it has been, I shouldn't say she, because we don't even know if it's actually autonomy or not. Um, but it's some kind of, like, thing that seems to be attacking Scadrill from the outside. Bronze uh, does get rhythms, right? Bronze gets it's rhythms. It's color. But yeah. it's also not powerful enough to get the, like, the rhythms of the shards themselves. Right, you only see someone using Alamancy. Except when Vin could sense the Well of Ascension. Oh, that's a good point. That that would be Preservation's investiture being shown. Hey, also, side note, what happens if someone who has perfect pitch burns... If, if they were able to burn bronze as well? So if they have the aura recognition and perfect pitch, uh, like would they be able Hoyd, to tell exactly Hoyd how much... Hoyd has that combo, so we just need to get him to actually answer some questions. Who has that combo? Hoyd. Well, I'm reasonably sure that the listeners have perfect pitch, like right. just as a yep. default setting. So I'm wondering if the listeners are going to realize that Odium has changed. Ooh. Like, like does he does he have the same? The, does Terravodium have Todium have the same rhythm? So it's a as question of if the shard influences the rhythm it, at all. Yeah, is it is it like remixed now? Like how does it work? I'm guessing it's not changed because the like the shard itself is still exactly what it was before. It's well, just so the person holding the shard is different and the shard holds a lot more influence over the person than the person holds over the shard. Right. The shard is an intent 
and the intent eventually changes the shard holder to match what the intent is. However, since Taravangian just picked up the shard, it... He's still not changing the shard. He's, he's, not he's just able to exert his influence over the shard's power. The shard stays the same. I think it's a good question. I, I think... I'm not, I'm not willing to completely say the shard... I mean, I would accept that the, the rhythm doesn't change at all. I would accept that as a valid answer, but I could see a case for it actually being remixed a little bit, or at least until Teravangian becomes Odium itself. Nah, I'm ready to die on this hill. Okay, all right. So yeah, there's there's not a lot to talk about this chapter aside from that at Metal Grenade. Hey, so at some point before the end of the Cosmere, uh, a Don a shard holder is also going to take a Dawn shard, right? Like that's that's for sure going to happen. And it's going to be bad. Probably. If a shard gets access to a dawn shard, I yeah. think that is very, that is scary. But there's a reason the dawn shards were hidden away. And it, I think it's specifically to hide them away from shards. Yeah, it's to set up a shard getting one of them and it being really bad. This is this is basic planted payoff, stop my, it. my dude. Just, I mean, you know. the dawn shards were what broke Adenalsium in the first place. So who knows what the heck they would do? I, I don't know. I don't know. We only know about one. We actually only know one of the commands. Like, we don't even know what the other ones are for the Dawn Shards. But, uh, yeah, at Metal Grenade. Well, I'm out of stuff. Me too. Craig? I'm never out of stuff, but I don't need to talk anymore. No, go ahead and give us one more thing, and then we'll end it. I don't actually have anything else. Not for this week. Then you could have... I I had something just a moment ago, and it completely slipped out of my mind. I apologize. I don't remember. I was, it was something about Dawn Shard, but I really don't remember. Oh, uh, when do we want to talk to Dave about what the set is actually up to and has been up to? I think we should find out at the end of the book and see what he thinks. Okay. Like, is there a reason to tell him early? I don't think so, but I want to. Um, I did have a question for us, though. Uh, unfortunately, Dave's not here, but I think he just goes along with it. When are we doing cast lists? Ooh, I'll have to look at the chart. We yeah. usually do it halfway through the book. Right. It depends on, on who we're actually casting, because we, we want a good set of people, and so far we haven't really gotten anyone new aside from one of the Chandra. Well, there are 12 episodes, including the overview, so... Well, so so my question is, do we really have people we want to cast in this book? Uh, like eventually, the we see Chris. Adrian's show up. Yeah. yeah. We need What's-His-Face. What's-His-Face. You know the guy. What? Yeah, <laughs> I know the guy. Okay. Um, what there... if we just save cast list for the overview on this book? Oh, at the very end? Well, uh, because we only just had the cast list for the previous book, like, and there's not going to be a lot of new characters, so I, mean, know, I, I think waiting for the end. Would... There's two new characters. Yeah, that's, that's not a lot of new characters. Yeah. Okay. Overview is also cast list. That's going to be a long episode. Yep. Because right. we'll have well, I think we could save the overall Mistborn discussion until after Secret History. Okay, hang then on. we could what we if... could talk everything Mistborn with Dave at that point. Ghost Bloods. What if we do cast lists with the last chapters, and then we have the overview afterward, like separate episodes? What if we don't do an overview for Bands of Mourning, but we do an overview for Bands of Mourning and Secret History together? Well, that. Maybe. That's just crazy talk. That's just crazy. There's because... a lot of things to discuss, but I feel like there's a lot of questions that Dave will get answers to 
after he reads Sacred History. Well, because that's that's the last Scadrial thing we have until yeah. something new gets written. So, Scadrial overview. And we don't really need a Mistborn Secret History overview just for itself. No. Because it's not going to take very long. I don't know. I can go either way. Whatever you guys think is best. I kind of want to do the, yeah, the, the Scadrial overview. Just skip it for skip it for the ends of Bands of Morning. No big deal. And then just, like, push it off for, you know, two episodes while we cover Secret History. All right. Well, whatever we decide to do, please make sure it's posted in episode chapters, especially when we're doing the cast list so I can prepare for it. So. All right. Uh, yeah. Stuff. That's an episode. Bye, everybody. Good Bye night, all. Internet. This has been the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at, at CosmereCast or like us on Facebook. Our theme music is Traveling Made Up Continents by Gillicuddy, used with permission. Hear more from him at the Free Music Archive. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.